Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to one of my favorite podcasts of the year. It's time to open up your eager eyes because I am, for this day only, Mr. Brightside, as well as Mark. Mark, how are you? I am struggling with the bright side, but I'm great. <laughs> I suppose I'm so excited I forgot to mention that this is stargazing, which is something that is an inauspicious start to a podcast about best case scenarios. Best, best case scenario is that uh, you forget. You know what? Best case scenario is you forget could be the Dallas Stars epitaph for many, many, many seasons. You know, it, it actually works if you think about it, because there's there's this whole history of bad things that you have to forget in order to get to the Dreamcast. Isn't that true? We we forget so we can embrace it, it, it without we can embrace the, our positivity. Well, and Mark, it's the old you know channeling C.S. Lewis, right? If if there is no pain, is there joy? True. You you need your yin for your yang. That got that got heavy. We're gonna we're gonna for today. <laughs> ignore the the pain and we're just going to focus on the joy this is one of my favorite podcasts that we've done the last couple seasons where the gimmick is only bright side only upside only best case scenarios we're going to talk a little bit about you know dallas stars are, are kicking off training camp where we're done with traverse city we're starting to get inch our way ever closer to games that mean something and we're going to get into the nasty, mean, bad stuff. Let's call it the more familiar territory for Stars fans here. Uh, we'll probably do that next week. But for today and today only, no downside allowed. And, um, you know, Mark, I think we'll just we'll start with a little leg stretching exercise. I'm not going to get anything too heavy. I want you to pick me one player on the roster, any player, and give me one player's best case scenario. Two words. Miro Norris. Ooh. I and like we have a no, reason no to... burying the lead here, Stargate. No, no, he, he he's ready. He's uh, he's concentrated on offense all all off season. He's he's taken the Norris Trophy's bias towards offensive defenders personally. He's he's done his finished version of cussing as to why that is, and he is just going to bring it. He is, and I think more importantly, Mark, as, as we've we've seen with the Norris before, you almost have to have your first Norris season before you have your first Norris season. So he's he's already you know he's already been through the phase where he was widely acknowledged as one of the best defensive defensemen in the league, if only the points would come along. And so he's done that, and then he had the big offensive breakout. His team has had success. I think we are finally in the realm where he's established enough career bona fides. That if he has another Miro Haskinen season, he's it's almost like you have to you have to reach like a minimum standard before the awards committee will even look at you, even if your minimum standard is the award, right? So I think you're right. He's he's finally in a spot where his reputation is such that he's got the um he's got the attention of the panel. And if he does what he could do, then we're gonna wind up with a very strong case for a an individual award making its way down to big D. And I, I love as well, we, we've started to see some of the, you know, you always get those those preseason training camp fluff stories. And one of my favorites making the rounds is, well, Mark Miro has been working on his shot. Yep, yep. It's like, well, 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 Nils Lundqvist is in the gym. Miro is on the ice. And there you go. Picking Just corners. Putting, and, and you had said there's, there's uh, is, I don't know if this is the trivia question you were alluding to, but you'd oh, mentioned no. that Miro has a... <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, good. Then I'll ask you, you mentioned that Miro has a favorite player. And here, I, I'm going to just quote this because I absolutely forget where I where I saw this. But uh, Miro was saying great stuff about how, how happy he is to be playing with Ryan Suter. They developed some chemistry. And they're they're reading things off of each other um, incredibly well, and so uh, so I think as the number one pair, they're just ready to go. Now, any truth to the rumor that as he was saying this, Ryan Suter was behind the camera, you know, making throat slashing gestures or perhaps holding a treasured Miro Heiskanen, you know, family artifact? I, there there may have been a voodoo doll involved, but uh, we'll we'll have to ask Taylor for that because I do believe this was a quote that came out of training camp. And of course, our fearless leader has been down there uh, you know, burning the midnight oil, getting all the good stuff uh, from from training camp. I mean, she is the woman on the street. And 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 since the, since this is the bright side cast, I think that the reason that this gets fans excited, right, is we've we've spent so very much time talking about Ryan Suter's role in this defense and Mira Haskinen's handedness, and if only one of those would get out of the way or the other. And there is a world in which the bright side solution to all of this is Mira just figures it out, is completely comfortable playing with Ryan Suter, and all of a sudden, in a weird way, Dallas's defensive depth chart gets a lot simpler. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a guy who who was a who developed his defensive chops and made his name in the league as as the right side. Uh, oh no, he was actually left side for for Roman Polak. So uh, it's not the first time that we've seen Miro take a partner who doesn't quite play to his level and and just succeed anyway. Yeah, and I think that's you know, and then we've talked about again since we're on the the topic of right side. So like I said, if 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 that works out right, if if Miro if Miro can have a Norris Trophy caliber season playing his offhand next to Ryan Suter, then that is a very bright thing for the Dallas Stars indeed, because that means that we've got you know the likes of Thomas Harlan, and Nils Lundqvist, and Essa Lindell, and, and everybody else is freed up beneath him to mix and match and fit and find and and kind of be the be in the right spot. So yeah, if, if Miro just takes care of the first pair and and maybe you know Ryan Suter is able to play off of him successfully, then what is the Dallas Stars kind of most glaring question mark heading into the season becomes an area of strength, dare say? Well, absolutely. And we've also seen that they're playing around a little bit with pairings here in training camp. So you're you're starting to see see some uh, rumors of Essa Lindell playing, uh, playing with Lindquist and uh, Yanni Hockenpah with, with Thomas Harley. So you get rid of this line that there are this defensive pair that was just all defense all the time, but still couldn't keep the puck out of the net. Uh, and so now you're getting a little balance to the pairs, and there's always going to be someone on on one of these pairs who can skate the puck out of the zone. Yeah, I mean, when, when those, because this is the bright side cast, when those pairings work, all of a sudden you have a Dallas Stars team that has a puck mover and a strong defensive presence on every line, right? Right, and and that's Pete DeBoer hockey. You want you want to activate the D, get get the puck moving quickly, get it up into the offensive zone, and have the defense join that rush. And so I th- I think that's ideal. And, and and in the meantime, you have you know a number seven defender, uh, Joel Hanley, who the organization trusts. I think the fans trust to kind of take the wind out of anything that's going on. And so that's a pretty decent defense, if you ask me. It, it, I mean, yeah, it, it absolutely is because it's just going to continue the bright side theme, right? So one of the things that jumps out for me is, all right, so bright side, obviously, Miro Haskin and Norris Hype. 
bright side is the rest of the unit is so good that that Ryan Suter is able to find and and this isn't he's able to find something that emphasizes where his strengths still lie versus some of the weaknesses that maybe got him exposed against Vegas. Otherwise, otherwise is, you know, Thomas Harley is the player that stars fans saw over the, you know, during his end of season cameo plus playoff run. Right. And he just is that guy immediately and they get 82 games from him. And then the other one that was really interesting to me, speaking of funny preseason stories is you've, you've got the one making the rounds now of well, Mark, Nils Lundqvist has put on 15 pounds of muscle over the course of the offseason, right? He's he was he was around a buck 80 last year and or buck 80, buck 90, something like that. And, and they're saying he may be closer to 200, 205 pounds. And if that is true, that could be significant, not just because he's, you know, swole, which, hey, it's great to be swole, but it speaks to a player who kind of dedicated himself who continued to fill out physically and that version of Nils Lundqvist is going to be much better suited to handle some of the rigors of defense at the NHL level and again we, we've talked a lot about Miro obviously we've talked about Thomas Harley building on his close of the season Lundqvist has almost slid out of that conversation a little bit and, and one of the bright sides for me is you know he played 60 games last year so he, he was hardly a pumpkin but what if Nils Lundqvist is closer to the guy the Dallas Stars hoped they were drafting and what if what if he is a lineup regular to break camp as well, right? How does how does that well, change this defensive unit? One, it it also means you have a second pairing uh, of of him and Essa Lindell, and Lindell is all is now paired with somebody who can deal with moving the puck. And so at that point, it's not just throwing the puck up the boards, but it's a pair, just like he had with John Klingberg for years and years and years. And as much as there might have been a, a few complaints about that, that there's no doubt that that was a top pairing in the league and it worked for, for three or four years. Solid. Yeah. I mean, that's Lindell has has proven his, his career track record. He he is best utilized and most effective next to a player that is more, you know, adept with the puck. And if the Dallas Stars can put him back in that situation, it stands to reason that that everyone's going to benefit. And, and I mean, you can go one step further here and, and even say that, you know, knocking on the door, you have somebody like Leon Bixel, who uh, who after half a year in the AHL is, is starting to follow the Thomas Harley route and is ready for his NHL time and can come up and be kind of that that trade deadline addition that continues to put the team over the top. I mean, they they do need to, for the sake of my expectations, right? The the he has, by all reports, been extremely impressive since the moment he got to North America. And I think that you're exactly right, Mark. If we're talking about a bright side, this this may you know we talked last podcast about how he's you know more probably more of a next season target. Needs some seasoning, has to adjust to North American ice, blah blah blah. What if he's ready the second half of the season? Right. Yeah, what it, if he takes to the AHL more quickly? He showed you'd mentioned he showed a little bit more offensive. He took, picked up a small, a little pre- precautionary injury situation in, in Traverse City. But what if he's got a little bit more offensive pop than we think? And, and that could put him further down his developmental path. And all of a sudden, that's another piece, you know, for the Dallas Stars defense that is, you know, we talk about capabilities. He brings something different than everyone else in the group right now. Right. Well, and the upside here is we we're talking about how Bixel is going to adjust to the smaller ice. Here, here's my theory: What if 
what if the small ice is actually better for Bixel than the big ice? You know, it's he, the old, he the old Rorschach. This, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. Oh, absolutely. And and he has the skating chops in order to get around it. And, and, and there's no place to run and hide from him. I think that's a very good point. I think that that's something that, that has to be considered if you're a Stars fan. You know, he is a guy that has upside and if he starts making good on it sooner rather than later, then, oh, man, right? Yeah, and, I mean, just to kind of finish off the defense here, you, you have good depth down at the AHL. We, we re-signed uh, Reddy at an NHL level to contribute if, uh, if for whatever reason, um, they uh, the, the team needs some additional defense up in Dallas. I think, Mark, uh, undoubtedly, right, best case for the Stars is that this area of concern that is the defense, all of a sudden you've got a more prepared than you thought cast of characters down in Cedar Park. You've got Bichelle potentially joining the roster second half of the season, or at least ready to, right? There needs to be a space. Then you've got the likes of you know Miro doing Miro things. All of a sudden, Lindquist and Harley are mainstays. Hockenpah comes back from last season's injury and is able to do Hockenpah things. Esselindel thrives in a role next to a more offensively-minded playmaker. And like I said, all of a sudden, this defense that everybody was so worried about is a not, not a strength of the roster, potentially, right, because there are other strengths, but at the very least, a very, very strong group as opposed to a questionable group. Well, you're going the same way I am. I mean, the strength <laughs> I was say, let's, team is going to be the forwards. Let's talk about the Yeah, it forwards. Oh, it's which, forwards. Which line, which line shall we start with? Because they're goodness. all looking pretty good. They all look fantastic. Well, I, I think for me... Since you went first last time, I'm going to usurp it this time. For me, I think the bright side is that status quo on the top line. And, you know, Joe Pavelski continues to be a, a productive player despite his age. Jason Robertson remains a top five MVP caliber, 100 plus point player. And Rupe Hintz does literally everything in the, in the center pivot for that group. And, and that unit remains just a cheat code for the Dallas Stars. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about the Norris last time. I, I think we, we've kind of gotten to the same spot with, with Rupa Hintz and, uh, and talking about the Selkie. You know, he, he's, he's been around long enough, and now, now with Bergeron not necessarily stealing the spotlight, he is, uh, he's just primed to be right up there with the, with the big names. For, he is, and, and he's got, we talked about defender. this. We talked about this a little bit with, when we talked about Miro. It's, it's, Hintz has the reputation now. And it shouldn't, you could argue that it shouldn't count because this is a defensive award, but he's also a, a point of game player. And that, you know, when, when you factor in these types of awards, having the defensive chops is certainly part of the equation, but the other part of it is you've got to put up offense. And in Rupe Hintz, Dallas has a player that absolutely contributes at a Selkie level defensively. And oh, by the way, if he stays healthy, it's very possible that he's going to be in that, that 80 to 90 plus point range. And if he does that, that is exactly the, you know, that that's voter catnip, right? That's exactly the kind of season that ends up in, in award talk. Right, exactly. And, and this is kind of where the, you know, the, the playoff run last year helps as well, because all of a sudden you have Dallas stars players who have gotten a national audience. And so they've been brought up in, in the same sentence with these awards. Oh uh, so yeah. At that point, people talk, start taking a second look. Yeah, he he finished this. You're exactly right. That playoff run was a coming out party for Rupe Hintz. He finished on an absolute burner, and and you're right. That's that's the sort of thing. You know, the Selkie is very similar to you. There awards like the Hart and awards like the 
you know, the rocket, some, some of them are very arbitrary, right? But, but things like the Selkie where there's a little bit more interpretation, you really do have to build your resume and establish yourself first and then get into the conversation a lot of the times, a lot of the times. And, and he seems to have done that. So that's a, a, it'll be an interesting thing to watch as, as Dallas hits the ice this season. Yeah. And, and still sticking with the top line, you know, the stuff that came out of training camp yesterday was, you know, there was some Jason Robertson news. He's been working on his skating. And and I, I think the quote was, uh, he's uh, he's skating better than he was last year. And you start doing that, uh, and you you also take into account that he's more fleshed out, uh, more, more of a man's body than a boy's body. And all of a sudden, this MVP candidate that you already had with Jason Robertson is just that much more dangerous. Yeah, and and you know, going back again to the playoffs, he started slow, but by the end of the playoffs, he was back to doing Jason Robertson things. So I think there's nothing; it's impossible to not be encouraged about that. Um, yeah, if he if he adds, if he continues to build on on his skating and and adds that to his already kind of robust bag of tools, then you know, I don't. He never. I don't think he's going to have to be. You know, Rupa Hints out there or Miro Haskinen. But the better he gets, that could just have a, a force multiplier effect. Considering how good he is at using space, how good he is on the rush, how good he is playing at line mates. If if he gets, if he is able to do that even quicker, then Dallas is is onto something indeed. Speaking of force mul- multipliers, we have uh, Joe Pavelski and household. So that that can kind of transition us to line two, which. Looks a lot like line two from last year's uh, finish to the season, right? Yeah, I think the second line is is a fantastic thing to bring up, Mark, because you have Jamie Ben, who is that bull in a china shop, you know, a, co- a coverage problem, as they say. Then you, you need a, a player, and you'd mentioned some Radulov comparisons throughout last season. I think that's very, very astute, right? You need a guy like Dadnoff, kind of a terrier, to run the puck down, create havoc on the forecheck, but is skilled enough to make a play with the turnover. And finally, on top of that, you've got Wyatt Johnston, who seems to know where the coverage gaps are, right? He can react to the havoc that his line mates are creating and either capitalize himself or, you know, move the puck to somebody that can. So it's it's sometimes as straightforward as you've got, you know, each player does a specific thing that feeds the thing the other two players do and the line is successful as a result. So, yeah, there's a lot to be excited about with that second line. Well, and, and I think you, you kind of buried the lead there, which is Wyatt Johnston continues to get better. Oh, if he, yeah. And that's the obvious upside here. Yeah, the upside. I think you're exactly right. The upside. He, I mean, he, and we even talked about like, we talked about this with Thomas Harley playing well in the postseason. We talked about it with Jason Robertson. Well, you know, in the Seattle series, Johnston scored an absolute dagger, right? And it wasn't just that he scored, which, you know, obviously that matters a lot, but that was one of those. Goal scorers, goals, elite player goals. You know, some some guys don't think to try that. Some guys couldn't do it if they did try it. Johnston appears to be the player that not only thinks that he can go, you know, up, you know, go cookie jar right by the ears in a, you know, extreme playoff situation. He he thinks he can do it. He has the presence of mind to attempt it, and he's got the skill level to be successful. And that is a very good sign indeed for the future of a highly regarded NHL player. Right. And, and I mean, my, my view of that is he doesn't even think about it. He just does it. It just, it just happens because that's the right thing to have happen at that point. And, and why let the brain get in the way? And, and that's the secret to, to Wyatt Johnston's success. He just, he, he, he is a natural hockey player. He makes the right 
quote unquote choice without having to think about it. Yeah, he's 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 a gamer. And it's again, it's and it's not just it's where you get into some differentiation between top of the lineup, bottom of the lineup, right? The decisions that he's making aren't just, you know, simple pass progress the puck, take care of the puck. He does all that too, but the decisions he make are also impactful offensive decisions. Yep. And, and he, he gets with the, uh, you know, Jamie Ben, I think is very important to that line because if nothing else, he's, he, he's the guy that everybody else kind of games for at this point still. And so Jamie Ben takes on all this distraction. Everybody needs to shut down Jamie Ben. Meanwhile, uh, Johnston and Dodonov can go out there and do their thing. And all of a sudden that's the knife in the back. Yeah. And, and again, we talk about how it builds, right? Part of why Jamie is able to do that is because you have to, you, you still have to worry about, you know, if, if you didn't have to respect the players with Jamie, you might be able to do more to minimize Jamie's impact. Right. But you, you can't, if you focus on, on Ben, you're going to create openings that, that now Johnston and Dadnoff and whoever's in that other slot, Dallas all of a sudden has the talent to exploit. So it's, it's one of those, like everything builds on everything else, right? Jamie Ben creates openings. So you have to respect his line mates and you have to respect his line mates. So Jamie Ben creates openings and it's all that that's how you get the Benazance. And I think for the Dallas stars and looking at a bright side, there's, really nothing to say that that's not going to continue. Yeah, I mean a lot of the a lot of the Benessance goals were power play goals, but a lot of it was just kind of traditional Jamie Ben finding a spot in the slot and and putting the puck home. Yeah. And and there's no reason to think that he can't continue to do that. No, and I want to build on that with and we'll bring in the other lines as well as, you know, we've had situations before where Dallas had a great line and sometimes even a great line and a kind of good line. But one of the other bright sides with the stars is, you know, we still haven't mentioned Tyler Sagan's name, right? We still haven't mentioned Matt DeShane. We still haven't mentioned Mason Marchment. We still haven't mentioned Ty Delandria. We still haven't mentioned Logan Stankoven. We still haven't mentioned Maverick Bork. All of the sudden, this is and, and I know this is a bright side cast. I'm gonna nudge to the dark side for just a second, right? We're talking about how the first line and the second line are going to continue to build on strong seasons. All of the sudden, from a bright side perspective, if it doesn't quite come together, or if somebody does get hurt, or if there is a, a brief moment of, of less than bright side, there's now the depth to account for that. Oh, hey, Johnston's having a little bit of a, of a sophomore moment, right? We can slide, you know, Tyler Sagan did fantastic last season in top line duty while Hintz was hurt. Right. And, and, you know, Mason Marchment started last year on an absolute burner. If he's that guy, then you have a team that, that, you know, we're not just talking about the ability to roll three or four dangerous lines. We're also talking about the ability to weather the storm if something doesn't quite meet the bright side we're talking about. So, so I think depth is another, you know, you've got a team that breaks camp. Everybody does exactly what they're supposed to. And then, holy smokes, Mark, how do you defend this team? Well, exactly right. And that's Pete DeBoer hockey, too, where where he wants to have all four lines in the mix and he doesn't want a big distinction between the amount of time on the ice for the top line and the amount of time on the ice for the bottom line. And last year, he kind of got away from that as he realized that his fourth line wasn't going to give him any offense at all. And so he kind of rolled three lines and then about a 10 minute fourth line, which which I don't think is natural to him. No. And so and now it, it, here you, you yeah, you, you move to a third line where you have Duchesne and, and, and Sagan and you have a Marchment who plays like Florida Marchment because he's got the talent with him. And you have top three lines that at, at any point you could consider one of them to be a top line on a team. 
Yeah, and and every one of those players you mentioned, because of the depth that we're talking about, every one of the players you mentioned, paradoxically, it's like the Jamie Ben playing off of Johnson and Dadenoff thing. Every player you mentioned doesn't have to do as much to do more, if that makes sense, because they have, you know, you you can you can rely on your line mates to a higher degree, which means your own game can live at a higher level because you're not trying to force everything. Yep, and there's no reason to think that Duchesne coming in uh, doesn't work with Sagan. They're both kind of center-wing hybrids at this point in their career, but they both have offensive talent. And Marchment, I think, you know, you take a look at what he was doing when he was successful in Florida. He was surrounded by offensive talent. And yep. part, of the re- part of the way Marchment got into trouble last year was trying to force things. And here he shouldn't have to force things. He's playing with extremely and talented I- t- line mates. And I think that we saw this same thing from Tyler Sagan at times last season, at times the season before when there wasn't that, you know, there wasn't that one extra forward when, when Marchment went cold, for example, is you had the two firm, you know, you had the Ben line and you had the, the, the Hintz line and Sagan was a lot more inconsistent because, you know, Radic Foxa was his, his, you know, was on one of his wings or, or Ty Delandria who may not have been ready for a scoring role. And, and it kind of brought it, it, put the whole line in a different category because there was a guy that was more, you know, more meat, you know, more lunch pail, right? And now Dallas doesn't have that. And so you, you should see increased production from individual lines, which again, will make it harder to defend. And somebody's going to be playing against the third pairing and on nights where all three, if not all four of, because we haven't talked about Sam Steele yet either, right? There are going to be nights when all four of Dallas's lines, or even just three of them are going and one of those lines is going to be playing against down lineup matchups. And that's when you really get into trouble when, yeah, sure, maybe maybe a team can can do things to mitigate the the bin line, or maybe the teams can do things to mitigate the um, you know, the hints line to some degree, which you know, we'll see. But what we've seen though is if you devote the resources to do that, you're leaving gaps elsewhere. And and finally, the bright side stars have the talent to take advantage of those gaps which in turn will make teams go away from those gaps, which in turn will make the first two lines even more dangerous. Right. And even if you go down to the fourth line, you know, Foxa is, is, is going to center that line probably. And, you know, then you might not necessarily like the offensive chops, but you throw somebody like Sam Steele there. Steele knows how to score goals. Uh, Delandry is going to continue to develop. He's not necessarily a pure goal scorer, but he's a gritty goal scorer. And so this is a, this is a, Maybe a checking line, but it's a checking line with with skill. Yeah. And so you aren't going to have that big drop off that you had last year when you had somebody like Luke Lendang, who was who was kind of key to that line. Yeah. Well, in the checking line with skill, with a coach that seems to stay away from call it like old school orthodoxy, right? It's Pete DeBoer is not a coach that looks at his fourth line and says, okay, cats, your job is to win a couple faceoffs, get the puck deep and get off the ice. So you're going to have players, even down lineup players that are going to have offensive opportunities and are going to be expected to make plays because Pete DeBoer wants all of his lines doing that. Yeah. And yeah, good. It's Good. been a while since we had a solid fourth line, and I think we do. And I think that's, you know, look across the league, look at the teams that are winning, look at the teams that are being successful, and it seems like nowadays the way that you win is by putting four lines on the ice that can scare the other team, finding a way to do that, and and that's how you generate pressure more than having just one unit that is, you know, unstoppable. 
Yeah, and I mean, the other thing here is, you know, outside the top line, you also have three lines at the bottom that all can hang physically with uh, with another team. You know, you throw Fox out there, you throw Marchman out there, you throw Ben out there, and there's there's no real spot here where you're going to get, get a goon out there who's going to pick on the Stars. The Stars have enough to fight back with. Yeah, there's enough. There's enough meat on that roster, and, and we will, speaking of meat, um, we will, I don't know, that was a terrible segue. We'll take a moment, uh, let some advertisers have their say, and uh, we'll be back to talk about goaltending and just some some other general bright side stuff. Okay, Mark, so we know why the forwards are going to be fantastic. We know how the defense is going to evolve. This one might be the easiest. Give me your best case about the Dallas Stars goaltending situation. Uh, Jake Ottinger. It's pretty and easy. <laughs> it's pretty easy. And, and I, I mean, you hate to say it, but best case scenario is less Jake Ottinger, right? Yeah. It, it, I think there was a quote by DeBoer talking about the Wedgwood injury situation and how they had hoped it was something in the eight to 10 games range is what they had hoped to reduce Ottinger's workload based on how, what he actually got last season. And I think it's, it's hard to, it's hard to argue against what you know the benefits of having another eight to ten games off would have have done for Ottinger as the Stars kind of hit that tough stretch run and and into the playoffs. Not that he was a a capital P problem in the playoffs, but I think there were some some signs of wear and tear, and and getting him a little bit more rest early could have a an outsized benefit late. Yeah, and me here right siding it. So Wedge Wall is doing Wedge Wall type things, and uh, I, I think. For the full upside, you have to go down to the AHL level and say that, you know, Remy Poirier continues to develop and becomes a, a higher level third guy coming in than Matt Murray was last year. I, yeah. I don't think the organization trusted Murray to to play enough games and that lack of trust is is what put Ottinger in the net for way too many games. Yeah, and credit where credit is due. I thought that Saad had a really interesting way to phrase this when talking about it. And last year, Murray was more of a, you know, we need a breather type backup versus an intentional, you're going to play this game type backup. And I think that pivot is, you're right, Dallas needs a backup that isn't just an emergency, like, oh, you know, Ottinger is gassed, he can't go. They need more of a, like, they're comfortable in front of Wedgwood, right? They're comfortable playing. And that's, and to your point, if, if Remy and if, if Murray can be, you know, can continue to develop and, and get more comfortable, get more familiar down in Cedar Park and be successful, you know, it's one of those, you hope that it doesn't matter because Wedgwood is healthy all season and Ottinger is healthy all season and everything goes great. But like we talked about with the forwards, if there are any hiccups, having those two guys ready is a huge benefit. You just, you can't win in the NHL with one goalie anymore, right? You usually need, you know, if not two, three or four. Yeah, and I mean, let's not forget that Matt Murray last year, they had to sign him to an NHL contract to get him up with Dallas because he was on an AHL contract. He was a rookie down there. So there, there's nothing there's nothing shameful or, or anything like that for, for Murray coming up and getting a, getting a cup of tea and, uh, and, and actually one win while he was up with Dallas. He just, you know, his, his career trajectory was, was pretty early on and he was thrown into the deep end. And there's no reason to think that he can't grow. And uh, and Poirier certainly is somebody who can continue to grow. Yeah. Then that, I think that's, you know, and we'll pivot Mark into some general predictions before we wrap this thing up. But for me, when we talk about bright side with the stars, it's continue to grow. And yes, there are 
you know, there's Pavelski, there's Ben, there's, you know, there's Sagan to some degree. There, there are some guys that aren't necessarily in that high growth phase. But when you look at the critical core of this team, you know, Rupe Hintz, Jason Robertson, Wyatt Johnston, uh, Miro Haskinen, uh, Jake Ottinger, even Thomas Harley, Nils Lundqvist, right? When you talk about this team's upside, it's because they have a whole bunch of guys that played really well last season. Most of them played really well the season before. They're in critical positions and they're going to continue to develop. And if they continue to hold and improve on current performance, this is a very scary team. And it's it's reminiscent, you know, go go down the list of Stanley Cup winners. And Dallas is all of a sudden checking a whole bunch of those boxes, right? From the crease on out. You, you're starting to look position by position, role by role. And if everything is going like we hope it could with the stars, it's not just, oh, they could be a pretty good team. With the stars, it's I don't see a problem here. And, and I mean, almost you know, the, the other thing that this team can do, and we saw it last year in the playoffs, was it can adjust its playing style to different types. It's not like they need to win one particular way. Yep. So they, they, they took out a Seattle team, which was incredibly different than a wild team that they'd taken out the round before. It was a bit of a struggle, but they could uh, they they could adjust their play to what they were seeing, and they did what they needed to do to win. And, and that's the sign of a team that's going to go deep in the playoffs. And I would I would take it one step further. And, and yes, they they eventually lost the series, and there so there were some very glaring. We'll get into the next podcast reasons for why they lost the series. But there were also stretches against Vegas where Dallas was demonstrating they had made yet another adjustment. And it ultimately they didn't quite get there. But to your point, right, they beat they beat Minnesota. They had to beat a very different Seattle team. And then they had to adjust to a very different Vegas team. And they were they had some moments of success doing that. So if this team continues to grow and if the depth comes through and if the signings work out, then it's not difficult to see how this team could kind of round by round face and surmount a bunch of different challenges. Yep. So what what's the prediction? I mean, this is the Bright Side podcast, and I think it's it's fascinating for the first time in a very long time. I think if you're talking Bright Side with Dallas Stars, the Stanley Cup has entered the conversation, and not in a any team can get hot and win it since, but in a sense of, you know, it might it might be nail biting, anxiety inducing, but this is a Dallas Stars team that you know we shouldn't have any will they make the playoffs questions. And we shouldn't have any will they get out of the first round questions. This is a team that has put itself in that spot where our expectations should be, you know, last season is kind of the bar and they need to be, you know, they need to be at or near the top of a very competitive central division. They need to have playoff success and it doesn't take a lot of mental gymnastics and, and, you know, bright side planning to get to a scenario where they're, they're competing for and potentially even winning the Stanley cup. There's no glaring weakness that's hanging out on this on this team that says, you know, here here's something that we need to deal with in order to in order to have a chance. You start with the Stanley Cup and then you you see where things might need to be tweaked. But you know what? What would you say? At what point do you say that you're going to have to get a uh, a new player in at the trade deadline in order to make this team better? Who's that going to be? Yeah, I, and I think to do that, and we'll break the gimmick just a little bit, 
really when talking about adding a new player, you kind of have to get into a conversation where something else has gone wrong. You know, they're in the position where their deadline ad, if everything breaks like it's supposed to, their deadline ad will be, well, this didn't work out. I guess we need to make a move and shore it up versus a, we always knew this was going to be a problem. We're going to see if we can, you know, put some spackle over the crack and, and get through, get through the next couple months. Yeah. And, and I'm just not seeing what that obvious weakness is at this point. No, it, it could be, it could be a depth forward. It could, it, it, it could be one of those situations where it's the best oh. guy on the market and you kind of just go out and figure, Oh, Oh, that guy is available. I guess we'll get him and figure it out versus versus a oh no if we don't get this fixed it's all gonna all gonna fall apart on us yep okay so stanley cup it is stanley cup or bust and and i'll go one further mark and then i'll I'll hand Mm -hmm. you the reins i think there's also i don't know which one i'm not going to get that specific but there's going to be an individual award as well okay too many too many guys and i'm not talking mark messier leadership award bs like too many guys on this squad are at or around the conversation on serious hardware i think somebody somebody's going to win something does that include pete DeBoer? yeah yeah okay i i i think uh i think the guy is probably miro he's the best player on the team and he deserves the award more i think you if if i was giving odds i would give you the worst odds for that selection cuz you're right he's he's got the strongest track record he's going to get all of that spotlight you know unfortunately for jason robertson miro is not competing against a guy the likes of of connor mcdavid and there's you know when you're handicapping some of the forward awards you you have to shrug and be a realist and say well there's a, there's an alien in the league And, (laughs) but, you know, Miro, Miro might be that alien on the defensive side of things. So I think he's, it it would not in any way, if, if future me came back and was like, I just came to tell you Miro Haskin won the Norris. My response would be, you, you figured out time travel and you wasted it on that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Should have, should have, should have just put money on the stock market, right? Exactly. Exactly. Give me, give me the uh, sports almanac. Okay, I have one trivia question for you, Wes. Let's do it. Who is Soleg Bakic? Soleg Bakic? Well, that is a that is an excellent question, and it is a made-up name. So there's your answer. It, it is not it is not a made-up name. That is a player who's on the training camp roster. Yeah, but like teams have drafted fake players before. Read some down goes. Are you sure he's real? Have you have you well, seen? You not see now. Now you're going to get yourself into trouble because he played for Dallas Stars Elite. Oh, and so and so all of our Texas hockey fans are going to say what? Well, they'll probably get me because I'm probably brutalizing his name. But then they're going to really get you because you're dissing one of the local kids. I'm just trying to give him some bulletin board material to to aspire to greater <laughs> things. Tell tell me about tell me about this kiddo. Well, he 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 went to Notre Dame for four years. Uh, he's on a PTO, obviously. Signed with the Reading Royals of the ECHL, and you know they probably needed to fill out a last a last slot on the roster. And the local kid probably has some connections, and so uh, here's to him. That is fantastic. I love it. That is a fantastic trivia question. It is the perfect question to end a Brightside podcast, and his mark has made my morning. <laughs> well, thank I'm you good. for thank you for the insight. As always, anything else you want to to dream before we hang up? 
Oh, let's see. Well, I'm driving to Portland today, so I'd say I dream that I'm already there. There we go. I, I don't think that one's going to come true, but best of luck to you. KT, as always, thank you for helping stitch this together. We will be back next week for a decidedly more negative view of, of the Dallas Stars and what might happen. So all you naysayers and curmudgeons, get excited. And I had a segue and it just like vanished. (laughs) Speaking of meat.